from the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. Friends and familiars, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Dark Mind Podcast, where we explore the boundless realm of dark literature and film. On today's show, we have a poet and a graphic artist that have joined forces to blend their respective talents into a nightmarish hellscape. The poetry is nihilistic and dystopian, and the art is violent and depraved. They're both joining me today to discuss this masterful work entitled Infinite Black, Tales from the Abyss. So without further ado, join me as we delve into the dark insight of Jeff Oliver and Dan Verkes. Welcome to the show. Hey, Vince. How you doing? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Yes, thank you for joining me on this 28th day of June 2023. I read your collective work of poetry and art entitled Infinite Black Tales from the Abyss on the recommendation of Lashane Arnett. The art immediately grabbed my attention, and once I delved into the book and the absolute nightmare of the infinite black, I quickly realized that the collaboration of Jeff Oliver and Dan Verkis was a match made in hell. The poetic narrative was a slow burn into the psyche of the reader that was as methodical as it was relentless, and the accompanying art gave it a dystopian, nihilistic, otherworldly feel that made the narrative exponentially more compelling. So I'm honored to have two artists of such an impressive caliber on the show today. It's good to be here, I suppose. (laughs) We're all right, aren't we? Oh, I look amazing. (laughs) very self-deprecating artists hey get used to it yeah (laughs) well so the book is what i would call a dystopian sci-fi epic poem illustrated with the terrifying art of dan burkey's it's about a time where ai is in its heyday and a program referred to as mother that was developed to help third world countries somehow manages to escape the servers it's being held on just before it had been scheduled for deletion. So was Mother based on any real fear from our modern day situation of heralding the advent of AI? And if so, what parts of the story do you envision could actually be a threat? The AI part of it kind of came in closer to the book because The Infinite Black's been around for quite some time. I began it in about 2012 as an art series. And, uh, yes, the AI part of it kind of lent into it when we needed to make it a bit more uh, sort of personal so people could understand 
and have some sort of connection to it because it's relevant today. Mm-hmm. I know, Jeff, did you want to add anything there? I didn't know anything about it really <laughs> until I started working it. <laughs> I just kind of dove in, man. I just, whatever I thought would go, I mean, I just did it. It's, that's how I write. I just, yeah. I don't think about anything. Mm. I got like a tunnel vision when I'm writing. So it's, I'm focused on the images. So I kind of just flowed into each image as I seen fit. And Dan flowed into some of the poetry as well as he saw fit. So there's kind of a mix in there. Mm-hmm. So he flowed into my words and I flowed into his art. It was kind of a double whammy there. But uh, I had nightmares after writing that. Mm-hmm. I don't usually have nightmares after writing well, it began as nightmares. It actually began as a series of nightmares. I was going through a bit of trauma at that time. I think the whole on, infinite, on your part, Dan. Yeah, on my personal part. Yeah. Okay. So the infinite black came about because it was me coping with those traumas, and uh, you know the three a.m. wake ups, panic attacks, and those sorts of things, which are all in the book in one way or another. So it began as nightmares, and me trying to deal with big changes in the world that I was living in. Had really not a great deal. I don't really have a fear of technology or of AI, but um, a lot of people do. So, you know, giving the mother character that sort of arc of being AI and present in everything kind of fit, kind of worked for uh, what we're trying to put together. I don't really see this as right. We put it together pretty quick with the fusion. It's just the editing, design, and all that. It took the longest, I think. There's a lot of hours into it trying to get the paper right, trying to do all that. And that's what took the longest. Yeah. That's one thing I will say about this book is it's just beautifully bound on this glossy paper. So Dan's art just pops. If you'll excuse me for using that term. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fussy with the presentation. I work hard and I have for a long time to put a quality product out. So I'm really picky who I work with and, and how we're putting it out. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess getting the story. He picked me. He picked me. Tolerate Jeff. I tolerate you. <laughs> what did he say? I picked Jeff, he said. But um, yeah, so getting the character right, we needed the antagonists. And Mother, she was always sort of a background character, mm-hmm. background thought really to the infinite black itself because the idea that the art stream was originally working under was all based in nightmares. It was all very dreamlike. And, you know, as a story people can't really understand something that's basically just, as the title says, it's infinite black. There's nothing there. So creating a structure around that antagonist really helped me actually expand the story a lot more because a lot of the story I had in my head leading up to the book and uh, I just needed to get it out and it was going to become bigger than it ever was before because uh, the art is, you, know, you kind of get limited into what you can express, mm. you know? Yeah. So even once I named her, like that made it more real, you know, so a lot of people ask me, how come it ain't on Amazon? I was like, because Amazon ruined the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting that out. There's no way. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Bad quality. Well, now Lulu's a platform that you can independently publish yeah. from, right? Yeah. So when I've ordered books that were produced from Lulu from Amazon, that's like gone through their processes or... 
Yeah, we went through it all. They won't allow you to uh, publish more than 60 pounds standard black and white on global distribution on Amazon. Okay. We used 80 pound paper. They won't let you. Uh. It just doesn't. It's the premium print. They do a premium black and white print. Unfortunately, black and white photos are notoriously hard to get right. And there are a lot of levels and layers in my work. Uh-huh. And the cheaper the print and the quicker the print that Amazon wants, all that detail gets lost. So like I said before, I'm very picky about the product that I put out. I want it to look the best for people. I want it to be something that they're going to have on their shelf, that they'll be proud to have on their shelf. There's plenty of garbage that's cramming up Amazon at the moment with slapped on covers and basically built from a Word document. And that's not what I wanted to produce. Mm. Yeah. So we did it our way. <laughs> we did. We tried. I did. I looked everywhere <laughs> for that, but I can't find it. So it's just going to stay on Lulu, and there should be an ebook on Amazon. Okay. It's not showing yet, but I don't know. It said it took it, so we'll see what happens there. There's definitely no fear of AI in the. No. And uh, yeah, we're not trying not to fear monger with the book. It's just a means of expression. Gotcha. You know, that's our antagonist. Well, so when Mother escaped, it seemed like it was due to a sentient sense of self-preservation. Absolutely. So was the agony that she inflicted on humanity a sentient sense of revenge? Yeah, it's that kind of Frankenstein revisit, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) The engineer, the character, you know, good intentions. It's basically what the character of Gabriel Sinclair, the creator, the engineer that is spoken about in the introduction he came out quite quickly during the writing when I wrote the introduction, purely because he's that moment we've all had where we have good intentions, we want to help people, we want to do the right thing, we want to do a good deed, but something always happens and it just kind of all goes to shit, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is his moment of experiencing that. And it's very much, he's created this thing, this thing wanted to survive. It got to the point where it'd become aware it was a living thing mm. and it wanted out because it knew what was coming. They were going to schedule it for deletion. So she as an act of survival, escaped into this mystery dimension just where she couldn't be touched, self-preservation. I think a lot of that's, again, me dealing with that trauma and what I had to go through. Mm-hmm. It's all tied into the narrative of the story. And, yeah, there's definitely an element of revenge. It's that whole Frankenstein's creature thing. You know, you created me. I didn't ask to be created. I didn't ask for any of this. Mm-hmm. You've put me in this situation. So now you're going to pay. Gotcha. Pretty much. Uh, you're going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how indeed. They pay. <laughs> oh, they my pay God. All right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the engineer that you spoke about, Gabriel Sinclair, does he represent any real-world individual? Because, I mean, I can think. No, he purely represents that that emotion that I just spoke about. I can think of somebody, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I can. I can think of Mr. Musk, I suppose. Yeah. I think that's what everybody's thinking about. It's not old Elon. He's too crazy for my books. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's not based on him at all. It's just even the name Gabriel Sinclair just popped out. It was like I started writing the first line and bang, the name came out. I just wanted someone who was trying to do the right thing, which is what I try to do every day. You know, you try to help people out and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always work. Yeah. This was his big fail in life. It cost him dearly as well. Mm -hmm. And the, the good thing he was trying to do by developing Mother was to help third world countries to develop yeah be self-sufficient yeah a bit bit of balance in the world there's some countries that are better off than others so Mm -hmm. he was trying to create a balance there there's layers in the story where people can read a lot into it in between as well where you know there's a bit of government 
manipulation, perhaps closing his project because they knew that it was going to shake a few things up. You could read a bit of that into there as well, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, I like how the book is connected and it all flows the way it does. I was proud of that too, how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah, we very much wanted it to be a collection of the stories of the people trapped inside. That's essentially, that's the basis of the whole book. That's why there's all the different tales, mm-hmm. the yeah. different aspects of the people who have been taken and imprisoned, enslaved inside the machine. Yep, different situations, different different outcomes. Well, it seems as though at least a few people go to great lengths to commit suicide before mother's minions can hijack their consciousness. Mm. So, like, theoretically, if they can achieve full clinical death, will that save them from having their consciousness hijacked and preserved for eternity? And can you kind of expand on that process? Yeah, yeah. I think the problem with that, she isn't actually taking your consciousness. She's taking everything she's taking your body a big part of the story is portal snatching where they can travel between that dimension and this one and take humans from their homes there's these snatch teams that come through and take people and leave others behind to instill more fear like ripening the fruit on the tree type thing before she can come back and take them because it's that fear and anxiety that fuels her world that keeps it going Mm. keeps her safe you know Mm -hmm. so yeah you're not really safe she could still take you at death i think the back of the book even says you can be taken at death and a few other times, but it's usually during dreams and nightmares as well. Mm-hmm. That's basically because they've got you in a state of weakness where you're vulnerable in the middle of the night, you're asleep, mm-hmm. there's no protection there. They can come in through a portal into your home directly, take you and reconfigure you within the machine to become a component of it. If you even think about escaping, she knows. Yeah, yeah, because you're part of the machine, so she's... Mm-hmm. yeah. You're part of her. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess she's technically the machine. Yeah. So she uses portal snatching. Yeah. She's within this world, weaving in and out of times, or she's going to a different dimension than coming back in this time in different time periods. Well, the machine world or dimension that she's within, it's its own entity. So they have these portal keys that allows them access timelines or just access our world whenever they please, pretty Mm -hmm. much to come in to extract people that are beneficial mm-hmm. to the machine. There's different stages of it, which through the book, the narrative does change. It's because initially taking people before they discover amazing things weakens the world so the world doesn't get to benefit from, like Gabriel Sinclair, you know, took him before the thing, you know, began to help the world. So weakening humanity, you know, ensuring her revenge is a little easier, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's all about making us more pliable for her own purposes. The soothing voice and everything. It's not a person. It's not like an entity. It's a, mm-hmm. it's purely software inside a machine. People at rest and make them comfortable before doing unspeakable things to them to fuel their machine. That's the key. Did you and Jeff collaborate as to the different elements that are created, either from the humans themselves, parts of the humans, or... Was that a collaboration between you two, or did you, those, one of the many horrific things you saw in Nightmares? <laughs> they initially, though, yeah, exactly. They were there. The machinery that comes in to snatch people and stuff, that was all established. I actually developed a world guide because I only kind of jokingly said to Jeff, maybe we should put a book together. And he was straight away, he was, yep, no worries. <laughs> Just great like that. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted Jeff to get involved was he could give the voices to the people that I can't. I'm a pretty closed off person. I like uh-huh. to keep to myself and very secluded. But Jeff's, um, 
he puts himself out there in all of his work. It's incredible. Like, and he could give these people that human feel that I don't feel that I could really provide them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's really good like that. Appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> Being really nice to you, Jeff, today, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you're always nice to me. Formal setting. I think you actually answered one of my later questions with uh, regards sorry. to the way. <laughs> no, 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 not like intentionally. I think I just kind of sussed it out from what you were saying about how you guys work together. So I'll bring it to light later, I promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Oh, there's more? <laughs> oh, there's lots more. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I interviewed Jason Robert Ducharme recently, who wrote a book called The Modern Prometheus, which is a modern take on Frankenstein. And the majority of the book was focused on issues of life, death, and the associated emotions. So he considered it a work of gothic horror. Your book has a lot of sci-fi elements and does get pretty descriptive as to how the bodies are stolen and utilized, but there's also a lot of focus on life, death, and emotion. So do you consider your book to be sci-fi horror, or would you say there's some gothic elements in there too? How would you classify it? I think it's a mix. It's a definite mix. It's definitely dark sci-fi, yeah. Definitely horror sci-fi as its foundation. There are elements of gothic. Nothing's original. Everything's come from somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. as I said before, it's very much a Frankenstein situation with the storyline. You know, mm-hmm. but um, at the same time, it is very much built on emotion and uh, the whole art stream, which became the book and other things later. It's all just a part of me, essentially. It's essentially, um, me trying to cope with things and mm-hmm. emotional confinement and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of written into the book which is another reason why I needed Jeff to come in to um, flesh out the fears and make the people real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Jeff, you being a poet, how did you go about bringing emotion and the interpretation of life and death and just abject agony into the story? I just put myself into each situation as I went. It's like, what would I, how would I feel if I was there? Mm-hmm. I kept that in my head the whole time. So it's like, how are you going to feel if you're in that situation? And that's probably what induced the nightmares because I kept in that mindset for a while. Oh, so you were sharing so, Dan's nightmares by empathizing with the characters. Yeah, I had some bad ones. I told him about that too. I told Dan about that. It was bad. You're welcome. So I used those too, and I just went off of those as well. And so I, I don't really plot it. I just go and see what happens. And and what those nightmares are out, a part of it too. What's that? The nightmares, how Jeff was experiencing and I had beforehand when I started creating it to develop it, was um, they're in the story as well. They're used to torment the people that are there constantly. Even the machines that are free moving that she uses for portal snatching and whatever else, they're all tortured by the machine as well. They're mm. all flooded with nightmares of the guts of it. I use my past as a lot toward my inspiration too, like what I went through all that as a kid. Mm. So I kind of fuse that into everything as well. Gotcha. So whatever I got going on up there, it just comes out. Mm. And I wrote those fast too. Yeah, you seem to be pretty prolific. I see a new thing on Instagram every day. 
Now there's new stuff. Are you on Facebook? No. Vince? Okay, I didn't think so. I couldn't find you. That's where I'm at mostly. But uh, yeah, I'm writing something different every day. Something different, something different manuscript, job on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Dan knows he's part of a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just use what I got, what I went through, and I use it as inspiration. I use it as fuel. Mm-hmm. So I've always done that. Fuel for the fire. Which again is essentially what the machine does. The machine uses that as fuel too, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess our connection to the story and to the art, to everything is we use those nightmares as fuel. Those darker times that affected us or still affect us now, mm-hmm. we put that into everything that we do. And uh, I think it comes out quite a lot in the book. You can read a bit. If you know people personally, you can pick sections out of the book that make sense, you know. Yeah. But um, Speaking of using it as fuel, it seemed like, mother seemed to cherry pick particular consciousness yeah the ones that she used to prolong and torment to i guess generate this fuel what was she looking for were they people that were creatives or had high iqs or something like that yeah that feeds into anxiety and stuff as well but i think there's a couple of phases to what the machine was doing Mm-hmm. I guess the cherry picking was to create the foundations of the machine. If she can cherry pick the best of the best from here, she can use that to self-preserve, you know, to create a better world for herself there. So once that platform is built, she actually shifts gears and then just starts focusing on regular people mm-hmm. and uh, tormenting them basically and bring them into fuel. Once she's built what she has, she needs to fuel it. So she needs that fear and anxiety from the people that she's taking and bringing in that layer and reconfiguring their bodies later. And then she shifts phases a few times. So she goes from a construction phase to a sustainability stage. And then later on, once she's got that relatively stable, there's an eradication stage. That's the real revenge kicker right there is just wiping whoever's left out. Mm. and then she will find you no matter where you hide mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it just all began from an ethereal consciousness stored on silicone yep somehow becoming sentient and escaping through the network self-preservation Whew. incredible premise <laughs> Jeff loves it well so Jeff yo In the book, you wrote what I would call free verse poetry, but then at some point, you as well as Dan seem to write, for lack of a better word, I would say poetic narratives. Yes, I kind of went outside my box a bit more in this one than I have in others. Yeah. How did you decide whether or not to use your standard free verse poetic form versus more of a poetic narrative for the different descriptions of characters and the stages of the things that happen in the book? I don't really think about it when I'm doing it, but now afterwards I can think a little bit clearer. I think I just kind of like the end of poem, digging the hole. I went full narrative on that one because it's the closing poem. Mm. So I wanted a little storyline with that as well as a rhyming kind of metal feeling mm. as well. But like the shorter poems, I mostly did them free verse. And the longer ones, I did more of a narrative, I think. Okay. But uh, there's no real plot or plan or 
thinking in my world. It's just go time all the time. I really like how you do that, Jeff, because I think a part of the charm of it is because it's set from different people's perspectives, we all communicate differently. So the different styles of writing really reflect the individual that who's telling their tale. And uh, that's why everyone's views are a little askew. Some don't follow the same narrative. They've got a rough idea about what's going on, but because they're in the situation they're in, they don't have all of the facts that other people in other areas maybe do, you know. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had the idea of how you wanted it to go, Dan, because of how you wrote your stories too. So I kind of built off that a little bit too. Mm. So where everybody was happy was good. Yeah. Me and Dan get along good. We work good. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had a head-butting situation. That's a good thing. Too far away. You're too far <laughs> away, Jeff. That's why. There's still time. There's still time. I yell at him plenty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess all you need is audio. You don't even need to be face-to-face <laughs> on a video. You just say, you fucking... He can, he can mute me anytime he likes. Uh, you both have the control, really, yeah. So it's not really... <laughs> That's right. Out. That's right. Uh, yeah. That can... <laughs> that can be a good thing and a bad thing simultaneously. Like Jeff said, it was pretty effortlessly. I mean, working together, writing it, it was the first book that I'd had such a large personal involvement in the writing part of it as well. I'd not really done that before. I wasn't very confident mm. in my ability to and do that. You're good at it. Be confident, but, uh, Jeff, dude. You're good at it. <laughs> listen to that you're guy. How can, you, how can you, you not are. listen? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah. I will tell you that every day. You're good at yeah. it. Well, I gave it a good crack anyway. So hopefully people enjoy it. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah everybody that's read it, five stars, five stars, five stars. So you're doing something right there, brother. Yeah. Good for the ego. Never had anything below, just straight up five stars? We have one four, right, Dan, on it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, what do they know? <laughs> yeah, one four and the rest are five on the hardcover. On the it's still a five to me. They still purchased the book, so it's still a five. So <laughs> yeah. It's all that matters. <laughs> That's a more correct way to look at it, I think. Every buy is a five star. Sure, I'm happy with three stars. <laughs> well, the body and mind of the human's capture are both utilized by Mother for the Machine. And you already alluded to it as happening in stages. But the first stage... Mother is just an ethereal program, like a ghost in the wires. How did she overpower the first material form to begin the construction of the machine? Or am I That's getting a good too question. specific? It's actually not something. It's probably too specific. Yeah. Stop it. No. Um, <laughs> I'm going to warn you. I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, that's fine. I guess with the introduction, because with a book, it's in stages. You've got to tell the story from start to finish. But mm-hmm. because it was something that had been created prior to it, mm-hmm. it wasn't really something I'd really considered. It was just a thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. I think uh, even in the introduction with Gabriel Sinclair saying it's uh, – very much whispers in urban mythology. And I think a part of that introduction where he's telling people, he doesn't even know how he's transmitting this mass transmission out to warn people what's coming. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know how or why he's able to do that. Now, I like to think that mothers enabled that to uh, instill that fear in the public to let them know that she's coming for them, you mm-hmm. know, just to, again, ripen that fruit mm-hmm. on the tree before she picks it. Cause it's the fear that she wants that fear and anxiety. So, um, 
Yeah. I don't really have a good answer to the question you actually asked. I just tried to get around it there with some other stuff. <laughs> I was wondering if there I was wondering if there was like that thing of the man of who we will not speak is trying to uh, create the Neuralink. Like does everybody yeah. have a straight shot into their brain that mother's able to slither in through? Yeah. I think we alluded to it too that she's kind of in everything like Sometimes you'll have a conversation yourself and then all of a sudden you'll start to see these adverts pop up on your social media and stuff mm. about things you've been talking about. Yeah. It's like she's always there, but she's also nowhere. And I like to think maybe to answer your question, perhaps Gabriel Sinclair was the first person she took and implemented. Yeah. And she learned a bit from that. He instantly regretted it because uh, she let him get his message out. If you read the book, you'll find out that um, he doesn't have a great time. You know, I was told stores that do the self-checkout, you know how when you're doing that, very often something will go wrong and the person that's kind of monitoring the self-checkout will have to come over and help you out. You're like, I have no idea what I did wrong. I scanned yep, everything perfectly, put it in. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really is like my mm -hmm. stepfather knows somebody that manages, I won't say which corporation, but there's AI in the camera systems that somehow will interpret that you've possibly stolen something. And, you know, it's incorrect, obviously, because when they come over, you don't know what happened. But uh, yeah, I've had the alarms go off many times and I paid for it. It's not random, apparently. Apparently some sort of AI. just sees the panic in my eyes when I'm, uh, you know, taking the item back out and putting it back in a few times. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the only thing it's recording for me and yeah. the swearing probably. Else, it's not working. I hate the way I look in the camera too. Yeah. Look suspect, man. They'll be wondering why everyone in the cameras are, you know, sprucing themselves up before they start working on their yeah. groceries. Everybody looks suspect on those cameras. Mm. <laughs> Definitely uh, suspect. Yeah, this was a fun project, man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, one of my questions was going to be what was the evolution, but you've pretty much kind of explained it is it was an artistic concept created by Dan from Nightmares. How did that kind of bounce back and forth between you and Jeff? Was it uh, he slowly fed the fire with his writing and then you reciprocated or how did Nothing slow with Jeff. Um, <laughs> absolutely nothing yeah. at all. I had the buildings, like I said, a world guide that I had because there are all these different elements that I'd created images of in the past. And uh, I'd listed them all in this book, what they did, you know, why they were created, that sort of thing, how they move, that type of thing. Mm. And I gave it to Jeff and he just, I think it was the first chat we had about it, I half-jokingly said we should do a book about it. And he was like, oh, okay. And then five minutes later, he'd send a poem through. And I went, oh, okay. 30 days later, he I gets, was done. He, he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a few minutes later, he had another and he was just away. So it was like uh, literally, pardon the pun, he became a writing machine and away mm. he went. He just... Yeah, he just went for it, which was... It was like 30 days, I think I got them all. Then you added yours. Yeah, you just had to wait for me then. <laughs> <That's> the usual. <laughs> I'm a bit more methodical, but um, yeah. But we worked it out. It was quite effortless. There was no pain in the creation of it. It was actually a lot of fun. It was more in the getting it ready for print and stuff. That was a bit of a nightmare, but yeah, it just takes time. Dan also designed the entire book. Yeah, so control freak. It looked amazing. Yeah, I was surprised when I got it. I mean, just... Everybody is. Yeah. Part of it was I wanted to bring a bit more clarity back into illustrators because I think illustrators get a bit of a slap and kick. Yep. 
they have for many years. There's a lot of convenience with the internet. You've got a lot of these Google cowboys, I like to call them, that just <laughs> they'll just whip out there and go, that'll do good for my cover. And they slap it on. It's almost like their story, but there's no personal touch to it. It's uh, Like I said, I'm very selective who I work with. I'm pretty picky about the quality of the product that I put out. I love books and I have a collection of really nice ones. So I wanted something that would sit on someone's shelf and they'd be happy that it'd be there next to the others, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm picky too, so that's probably why we get along so well. Well, one, this is probably one of my uh, favorite concepts you guys developed, and not for any creepy reason. This was brilliant. One of the ways that mother keeps your fear and torment strong is by taking the human subjects into the exact opposite direction into a realm of erotic pleasure with specially designed creatures called pleasure crawlers. So once they're so far removed from the pain and the agony by being given intense sexual gratification, which in a sense recharges their psyches, then the pleasure crawlers withdraw and mother brings them right back into fresh, potent agony. So yeah, in kind of the same vein, did either one of you have to engage in any sort of mental palate cleansing while producing this incredibly dark work of art? And if so, uh, unless it's sexual, can you tell us about it? <laughs> I think the listeners really want to know. You don't have to tell about us about Vince's your sex life. Yeah, just... <laughs> I want to know more about Vince's thoughts here. With the pleasure crawlers, they were created a fair while ago. And they definitely tie into dreams. You know how dreams, you always you can have a nightmare, but at the same time, it can be a fairly erotic time as well. Uh-huh. But it also ties a lot in with uh, some outside influences that I have, and probably Jeff, when he wrote the actual story for The Pleasure Cause, because he got it from the image right away. He got exactly what it was supposed to. I gave a few notes, but he was away. But it came from a lot of Clive Barker's work, his Pleasure and Pain, if you've read The Hellbound Heart and stuff like that. A lot of H.R. Giga, who's a big influence on my work, obviously. Mm-hmm. A lot of his stuff, it's very biomechanical, very sexual, and... Uh, I think it's just all those influences kind of roll into it. And again, the nightmares and dreams that you know you're having a bad time, but for some reason you're also sometimes having a not bad time, if you know what I mean, <laughs> in the story, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. It just wakes you, allows you to wake up confused and then you don't know what to think. And that's that feeling that I wanted people to have. And that's what that little device. You'll get that same thing with the delusion unit story. Precisely, yeah. That's a heavier version of that, yeah. It really messes with your head a lot more. Yeah. Mm. That one's insane. Reread that one when you get a chance yeah. after talking to us. That one's, man. You can see Jeff's perversions at full flight in that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one's the one that spiked the nightmare. First one. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so... You alluded to it earlier, the artistic conception for Mother and the Machine continue on artistically outside of the book, right? Yeah. So in what form, like where is it going and in what form? Um, well, it still continues as the art stream that it began as, that black and white art stream. Because like I said, you still suffer from things from a decade or more ago. You know, you're still dealing with them, coping with them. So they're still relevant. And your day-to-day things, for me personally, they affect what comes out in my work. So, yeah, it goes on in that form. It's also, other than the book, I've just released an album with another friend of mine, Chris Skip. He's an amazing musician. So there's actually an album now of music that's uh, inspired by the art as well. So it really lends itself to just about any medium. It's quite good. 
So it it seems like the art itself or the art stream, as you called it, is kind of like this cathartic outlet for you. Absolutely. Yeah. The infinite black is effectively my brain. I wish it was a machine, but it's not. (laughs) Me trying to keep that thing running. It's my own self-preservation, I suppose, you know, and I guess that's why I want people to get out of it. And I think many people do connect with it because a lot of people go through stuff every day and coping with things is very difficult. And some people deal with things in other ways, you know, some people drink, some people jump out of airplanes and skydive. You know, for me, I use art to, to vent those emotions yeah i use writing absolutely match made in hell like you said (laughs) well so the way the book is laid out the formatting and all that is your baby right dan yeah you you mentioned being a control freak and and wanting a good product which by the way well done (laughs) (laughs) thank you but uh as far as how you collaborate with the stories and the accompanying photos, you guys are really fucking far away from each other. I mean, yeah. are you guys video conferencing on some sort of regular basis? No, we video chat once, then we done like once, I twice. Maybe a couple of times we've caught up video chat, but nothing to do with the book. It's just usually talking rubbish, but uh, <laughs> mainly just through chat. Email and messenger, that's it. Uh, we didn't need to. We just spoke. That's pretty much it. it. It's um, it's really weird. I think people who are in bands and stuff, they can probably relate to it a little more. Is when you get to a certain point when you're working with someone that you just kind of um, you connect and you you just click, <laughs> and then it just mm-hmm. seamlessly happens. And the creation of the book was like that. It was done quite quickly, and painlessly, and uh, we really got it out. And um you find the right people to work with, you know, you like as a, a musician, you would find your right bandmate. You find the right bandmate. Anything's possible. What about like the non artistic parts of it? Like the legal stuff, like the copyright, getting all that stuff together. Jeff's done a lot of work already. So I just, you know, relied on Jeff a lot for that sort of stuff, which was good. Okay. Copyright comes as soon as I hit publish, I set up all the copyright information. I did all that. I put all the keywords in, I put the introduction, the back, and all that in there. I did the payment split. I got it all set up. Me and Dan just rolled. We did it all ourselves. Proud of it. Mm-hmm. Don't have nobody telling us what to do about it. <laughs> and Control freak. That's, that's a good feeling. You've mentioned, I think, a few qualities so far they say opposites attract in relationships romantic as well as platonic yeah so in this artistic collaborative relationship what are the opposites between you two like i I know i forget how you labeled jeff you're more of uh an introvert i suppose to yourself dan and absolutely and jeff is more out there what are some opposites that you guys just kind of I think it, like Jeff's really fearless. Like I really admire him for it because when he writes, he just he lays it all out there. It's real personal. He lets everyone see his little demons that are inside driving him every day, and not so little demons. But um, I think he's amazing how he can do that. I'm not like that. I'm probably the complete opposite. I'm very internal, which is half my problem. Mm. <laughs> I suppose it's why I create the art that I create. I can't. I can't hide my emotions. I've tried. I just can't do it. Yeah. It's just, I'd go insane even more. You know, I just, 
I've tried it. I just can't do it. I just got to say what I feel, what I think. And I really just say what I feel to anybody. You can ask my wife. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, do I want to do that? <laughs> he, um, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> he really wears his heart on his sleeve, and that's one of his best qualities. I think And part of creating the book with Jeff, I wanted to create a platform that because I like to help people. It's what I like to do. I'm an enabler. And I really wanted to create a platform that Jeff could, um, I wanted people to appreciate Jeff for what he does. Because I think poets get a tough run. You know, everyone talks about, you know, writers this, writers that. And poetry always seems to get a rough. Poetry is the hardest genre out here. Poetry is the hardest one. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to create an opportunity for him to shine. And I like that you're like that, Dan. That's the quality I like about you. You're very calm and mellow. I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> my wife would probably disagree with you just there. and you, you help and I like to help too you know I help out other writers all the time I'm pretty I've referred I can't even count how many writers and they got published I just help them they need help and say hey yeah I stay humble you gotta stay humble Jeff poetry is definitely an art form so I can totally see you collaborating with a visual artist on a book of poetry like this so how did the idea and I know you've done it before I was looking through your bibliography you've kind of teamed up with I think one was a photographer if I'm not mistaken but that's venomous words Dan also designed that book okay yeah so how did the idea to collaborate with a visual artist come to you like, and who was the first, was Dan the first person or? Yeah. Okay. I broke him. Dan, were you? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Dan did a cover for me back in 2019 for poetic fiction, journals of silence screams. So that's how me and Dan, we linked up what a year before that. Yeah. 18. I think it was new world monsters might've been the first one. Venomous words was my first, visual art book that we pulled from the original publisher and then republished it ourselves. That one is like short poetry, like four or five lines. Some are eight, but each page has a photograph on it. Dan knows all about that book, how long that thing took, and what a pain in the butt that was to get going again. Yeah, but Gordon Riley's photography is pretty incredible in that. And that's worth people yeah. to get and check that thing out too. It's, in, it's a pretty amazing book. If you pick one of those up, make sure you get the one that's published by Blurb Incorporated. I stress it because the other version's still floating around out there, and I don't understand why it's not down. Blurb but, Incorporated. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you the link in the email to the right one. It's another version of Lulu. It's a self-publishing book. But it's the most expensive book that I have. So you'll see the high price tag, but once you get it, you'll see why. All right. So I've seen numerous zines and anthologies that the both of you have been published in. So Jeff, obviously you do poetry, but you also seem to do these poetic narratives, which I imagine if stretched could probably turn into short stories. So like these zines and anthologies, Jeff and Dan, what exactly are you writing? Is it prose, poetry, or both for the both of you? Whatever they're asking for depends on what they want. I just got published in a Quella Noah's volume two that comes out 2024. That was a big one for me. 
Mm-hmm. So I did write a novel. That's poetic fiction. It's all rhyming poetry, 60,000 words fused into a story. Oh. That was back in 2020. And these are segmented out as poems, or it's just like one? No, uh, poetic fiction, that's an entire book with a storyline and characters and all that stuff, just written poetically. Oh, okay. Then we went to Venomous, then Dan and I did New World Monsters with Chris McCauley. That one's out there, too. Chris is a legend. But that's on Amazon, so the art's not going to be as clear as what we got here with Infinite Black. Yeah. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> Amazon, so. I was curious about Lulu, if it's going to uh, detract from the uh, the quality of the book that I'm looking at, definitely <laughs> just uh, promote the hell out of it and Lulu. keep it at Lulu. <laughs> yeah, it's that premium print that they can provide. Lulu is 100 million percent better than Amazon. They just won't let you globally distribute that 80-pound glory paper. I tell you, I don't really submit to much. I think the zines I've been involved with, I think I let Jeff talk me into it. <laughs> I had a couple of, covers, <laughs> a couple of covers for it, wasn't it, Jeff? I think I did two in a row of the yeah. horror zine. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not much for uh, submitting for competition or I don't need anyone to tell me it's declined or approved. I don't, again, control freak. I'll just do my own thing. Yeah. If people want to come along for the ride, then that's cool. I just keep doing what I do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Don't think my writing's quite up to. I love the ride. Up to that standard. Uh-huh. Yeah, work in progress. You better get used to submitting because your writing's good. Yeah, I've just started <laughs> writing a follow-on story from the Infinite Black, so we'll see how that goes. Mm, interesting. Just the second stage, which is a afterwards, after the machine has left the world, and what the survivors are left to deal with, and how they basically become essentially through their own greed and behavior they become mother themselves so we'll see how that develops people coping with what's left over well dan and jeff tell me about a previous work of yours that i and people should check out obviously check out the infinite black but something from your back catalog that is a a needle in a haystack or a a diamond in a haystack, if I can combine those metaphors. (laughs) Jeff's got a bag of diamonds. Go on, tell him all about them, Jeff. (laughs) Tell me about the diamonds. The only other place you're going to see Dan's art and my writing is New World Monsters at the moment. Okay. That's out. I don't know why they didn't put an e-book of that up. Anyway, that one, I got one I just signed with Independent Legions with. That one's coming. Dark Echoes Within Silence, that'll be this year. That has Dan's artwork in it as well, 15 of them. That's a completely different concept. That's just a mix of poetry, random poetry. There's a new storyline to that one. But Dark Echoes, Independent Legions, Josh Malaman did an introduction for me. And then... uh, I just released Scattered Thoughts Volume 3 as well. That came out on the 18th. That's just a print book. That's all poetry. Different emotions, different feelings. Scattered Thoughts 3, then there's Volumes 2 and 1. That's my trilogy. I got nine titles out since 2020. Mm. And uh, I got three more coming back-to-back, pretty much. I think it'll be Dark Echoes, Ink Blots, 
poet's perception. I worked with a different artist on that one, uh, Andrew Fremder. Uh, and then we got a Dracula creation coming too that is also illustrated by Dan. Mm. Now I'm writing that with Chris McCauley. Okay. There's 26 of the illustrations in that one, which are very cool. The final title of that one's called Blood and Verse. Mm. So yeah, I got a lot going and I put out a lot in three years. Don't plan on stopping. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like it based on your output as well as what you post on social media. So, I mean, it's obvious to me that you're always writing and I'm assuming it's because you're constantly inspired. I mean, I doubt you're the type of person that just writes on a schedule. Your mind's just constantly going. I tell everybody I'll never write to a script and I refuse to write to one unless I'm getting paid like $10 million. Can't do it. Well, where's the strangest place you've ever gotten an inspiration from? Don't say me. Mm, there's so many. I can look at one word and write three poems off of it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I've seen some guy trip in the street once and I wrote something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he fell hard, too. I called it falling hard. So, <laughs> uh, art is pain. People that, people that drag me through the mud are inspiration too. Oh, really? Like and, metaphorically or literally? I wouldn't let anybody literally drag me through the mud, but they get written in. Their names are never mentioned, but they get written in. But uh, yeah, just anywhere, man. This is it's all strange. The whole world's strange, you know. Endless fodder. Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. I've been doing it for a long time some album covers and I've been in a few magazines and books and I've exhibited and yeah, a lot of my stuff is just online. I am the only Dan Vickies in the world. So if you Google my name, you can see whatever you need to see. It's plenty there. <laughs> it's a strange name. There's not too many of us around. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And you can Google uh, Jeff Oliver poet too. And I come at the top. <laughs> Very nice. So Google status. Google status. Google Cowboys. I don't really care. <laughs> but uh yeah like there's plenty of stuff out there but i'm um, working on a few odd things here and i've got another book i'm working on which is going to be an art book mainly i might write a few things within it but um that's called chaos dreaming it's based on a um an exhibition i did in 2015 which was again exploring similar things that uh infinite black speaks about but it's uh it's a bit more dreamlike there's no mechanical sort of stuff in that it's a lot more um dream-based nightmare-based so that'll be coming soon too. So you're evolving into a writer. <laughs> I know. Kicking and Dan screaming Berkey. into the, Dragon into the literary me. world. It's all Jeff's fault. <laughs> I'm blaming him. Dan Verkey's New York Times bestselling author. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's got a ring to it. It uh-huh. does. Not a very accurate one, but it's got a ring to it. That's for sure. Ah, <laughs> uh, Debbie Downer. Stop Debbie Downing me. You will. You got a lot of good stuff coming, man. I always am hopeful that things get better and better and better, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. It's just the way life works. But uh, I think Dan's a very good writer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was under the impression, like, I don't think it even says it in the uh, description of the book. I was under the impression that I was going to read poetry from Jeff Oliver and look at the art of Dan Verkey's. I didn't realize Dan Verkey's had writing in there. 
Oh, I stuck it in there. Yep. D20 did. He put his name under it in there so they know the difference. My favorite is the passenger, Dan. I like that one the best. Hmm. That's like my number one in their beers. Well, Dan, I was curious to know, I mean, based on this amazing art, I can kind of see you've got, I see a Baphomet behind you. And I don't know, there's kind of a glare. Cthulhu next to that, and uh, Pizazu is another statue on the Oh, yes. So there's a bit of Exorcist there, there's a bit of H.P. Lovecraft, and there's a bit of occult stuff. And above it's album work. Is this your, what would I call it, your art production atmosphere? Is this where you do your work? Pretty much, yeah. I pretty much live in here. I work from home a lot of the time too, so... Uh, pretty much every weird thing in here is a little part of my brain. So it's the way I like. So what kind of setup do you have? Do you have a a large screen that you do this digital art with or like? Yeah, I have three digital 32 inch screens and a drawing tablet. Nice. And then there's a MIDI setup for music and stuff over to the left here. And yeah, and a laptop over the back. So yeah, it's all um, feeds the brain. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah, you need to post. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's too private, but I'd I'd post a picture of your setup on uh, Instagram or something, unless you have and I've missed it somehow. Uh, like I said, pretty private. Yeah, sanctum sanctorum. Yeah, anything you put on Instagram gets stolen by people anyway, so I don't really like to do that too much if I can avoid it. Yeah, people are thieves. Yeah, I've had poetry stolen a lot because I post digitally a lot. Uh huh. And I'll see it up there with someone else's name on it. And I just okay. I ain't ignore it anymore. It's never was a waste of energy. It's like a daily affair. They're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep doing it as long as I keep posting it. Mm-hmm. So self-inflicted people are never good. There's good people, but there's more bad. So, Well, whereabouts in uh, New York are you, Jeff? And what's the, I guess, art scene? There's no art. There's no writing or art scene here. No slam poetry nights, nothing? There's nothing. Nothing but mountains. Mountains, trees, and nothing. We have like one Taco Bell and a McDonald's. That's a There ain't nothing here. Sounds conducive for writing, I suppose. Yeah, I don't like being around people too much, though. So it works. There's something we both share. I mean, I'll do it. But I ain't going to like it, but I'll do it if I have to. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have an area where I work. I just pace around like an idiot and write. (laughs) (laughs) Are we talking about like a tablet? Um... Uh, Some days I'll like have an hour and I'll write it out in a fountain pen. Mm -hmm. If I feel like it, but mostly I'm on the tablet. I've written everything on dang iPad pretty much. But I like to use the quill, fountain pen, mm. stain my hands up like that. Always gives you a good feeling when you have ink on your hands if you're a writer. Well, uh, Dan, what about in Melbourne? It's pretty vibrant here. It's got a pretty big art scene. I live a bit like Jeff. Are you a local celebrity? No, far from it. <laughs> oh. Far from it. It's, um, I live quite a bit out in the country as well. So I'm, very much like Jeff, I'm pretty uh, secluded. I like to be uh, left alone, <laughs> so I'm yeah. away from everybody. Um, we got lakes. That's about it. Yeah. Finger Lake region. Mm. Yeah, just mountains. Bit of a mountain next to us as well. Yeah, but um, 
Melbourne's art scene's pretty huge, actually. It's got a pretty large international. I've got some friends that live further north, and it's pretty big up there as well. Art's a big deal in Melbourne. It's a big art city. But uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm too old for that stuff now. So just, just <laughs> do, do my own thing. I've given up all of that stuff. It's too hard. How old are you? I am 50 next year. Level 50 I'm reaching. Hey, Vince. I got an idea if you're up for it. Okay. Hey, Dan, you got a beat? A beat? No. Yeah, I was thinking about reading something on this thing, too. Oh, okay. Get a little okay. bit of... I'm not going to do a beat, but you can... Energy. You can go for it. <laughs> were you going to do some beat poetry or something? No, we got some spoken word up where Dan has some uh, music in the back. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we got a couple posted on Bandcamp, right? Yeah, Bandcamp. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a few readings that have been we've been recording. I've done some background soundscapes to them, and Jeff has been recording readings from the book. Uh-huh. Uh, we actually had Chris McCauley. He's got a great voice. Uh, he did the voice of Gabriel Sinclair. He read out the introduction to the book, which is amazing. Oh, nice. There's a few videos that are floating around as well on YouTube or wherever as well, so people can find those. But, um, I post them all the time, but Facebook hides my posts, so nobody sees them. Why? I don't know. It's just what they do. Like community guidelines. What do they call that? Shadow banning? Are you? Yeah, I'm monetized, so they don't want me to make nothing. So started out good, and then it just spiraled downhill. So okay. they hide your stuff. He's worn them out. He's worn his welcome out with them. <laughs> yeah, Elon Musk and Zuckerberg. What's the rumor about them doing a UFC fight? Oh, God. That'd be hilarious. It's got to be fake. Uh, yeah, it's probably just like a publicity stunt, but uh, it probably wouldn't be good. Zuckerberg's no joke. He's been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff, so I don't think uh, Elon's been doing too much. Oh, yeah, Zuckerberg has, but I don't think uh, I don't think Musk has. Musk has not been doing too much of anything. He's been a... Uh, yeah. It's going to be like Robot Wars, maybe, something like that. Yeah, he might put a send cyborg. He's <laughs> 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 I wouldn't watch that for free. He does have know. a flamethrower, so maybe I'll use that. You know, he was passing those out to yeah. uh, people that bought Teslas, but I forget what they actually are, though. There's some sort of like, are they butane torches where you light stuff off with or something? Yeah. Brilliantly <laughs> insane. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've seen that all over. You got like old boxing promos with them on it. It's nuts. <laughs> Uh, like the old Tyson days, how they used to promo on. They got Zuckerberg and Musk side by side. Well, Dan, being somebody involved in visual art, what is your opinion of, quote, AI art? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really bother me. It's just a tool. Like, I mean, I think anything that can create a moment for people to share a story or get something out of their mind creatively, I think it's a good thing. You know, it's not great that it does plagiarize work and I'm yet to see anything in it that I've recognized. I mean, it mashes it so well that you can't, you can't really tell, but some of them do do a great job. I think it's funny how people are having AI write novels for them and calling themselves writers. Yeah. No. (laughs) Well, I I have a bit of a bug with that too. People that just create AI art and say that they're an artist, they're not. They haven't done any training. There's no skill involved. I just find it a little soulless. They do. They call themselves artists. But, um, and then they're trying to copyright. One guy tried to come to me with it. Yeah. AI art for a book. I was like, nah, I just can't do it. Yeah. I can't write something that you didn't make. 
It's like anything, though. I mean, and people are going to find a, a means to express themselves. That's what humans, that's what we do. We draw storytellers, mm-hmm. and uh, through either through a visual means or through, you know, chat, CB, GBT, whatever it's called. I keep saying CBT, yeah. not what they're on. But um, <laughs> it's just a. Do you have an affinity for oil, do you? <laughs> no, I don't at all. But um, I always get the two mixed up. Maybe it's my twins. Probably should you do I'm getting old, remember? But um, it's more. Uh, the thing that bugs me more than the AI art is that this trained TikTok, this is the latest thing that's in my brain that's irritating me, this trained 2.4 to 8 seconds of attention span. For me, I find that to be a real problem. That's the most danger that any artist, any writer, any musician, that's your biggest threat right now is that uh, the masses out there that are in this TikTok, they want that five-second quick burst of something. They're not going to sit down and read. They're not going to sit down spend time and examine a picture. They're not going to listen to a full album. They'll just want a snippet from it or they'll just want, you know, the quick self-gratification. I find that to be incredibly ugly. I think that's yeah. that's the biggest threat. It's not the AI. That's the threat. Just dumbing us down. I never had a TikTok. I don't think I ever will. It's funny. I thought this entire book was generated by this aversion to AI, but what I'm getting is like, oh, it's, uh, it's just a tool, man. It's just a tool, <laughs> just a yeah. tool to create. Like I said, anything that people can step away and create something that wasn't there before that, that has come out of them and they've expressed something. I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. Not enough people do it. Yeah. There's uh, too many sheep and not enough shepherds. You know, A lot more people need to be creating stuff. Make yeah. the world better. Be less people bombing each other. Yeah. There's people out there type a word in and they'll print that shit and sell it. They'll type a word in the AI box, print it off and sell it and call themselves artists. That's what I don't like. Yeah, It lends itself to art theft as well. It's a problem. It's more the humans than the AIs that are like, I've got this joker on Instagram. He's constantly stealing my work and telling people it's his flogging these $30 hip hop covers. And he keeps doing it, keeps doing it, keep closing his account, just makes a new account, you know, uh-huh. make a few bucks. That drives me insane. Yeah. Yep. So maybe the AI can deal with them people. Yeah, I could never have a computer write my work and then call myself a writer. I just wouldn't feel right. I just I'd quit if I had to do that. <laughs> you know what my uh, fiance told me was in applying for jobs. One of the things they're doing is they're using AI to scan through resumes, looking for keywords, but people have figured out that if you write those same keywords 20 or 40 times in white so that they blend in with yeah. the paper and the yeah. header and the footer, yeah. it'll scan it and it'll go to the top because it'll have more keywords more times. But then when the person visually looks, they're like, oh, it's so fortunate that this popped to the top. This is exactly what we're looking for. Well, they're using the AI to write it. That's the other ironic part of it too. Oh, it's yeah. Like they're yeah. using AI to write it. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. just a... Back to the AI art, I would rather look at a, a landscape or an image done by AI art than loading up a page and see a burnt-out Ukrainian home from some little greedy little short-ass tyrant who's yeah. bombing the hell out of a country yeah. that doesn't belong to him. I'd rather see creativity. Yeah, if I had to resort to that, I'd just find another profession. I'd have some respect and leave. <laughs> well, what are the lives of Dan Verkis and Jeff Oliver like outside of writing and art? Oh, it's super exciting. Mm, I got eight kids. Really? Yep. No kidding. Six with me and two in Pennsylvania. No shit. And I'm with my wife. 
So buy the book, everyone. You're helping Jeff out. <laughs> He's got mouths to feed. <laughs> he has all the mouths. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but it's worth it. We're used to it. People say, how do you do it? Like, you get used to the chaos and how to do it and how to take the sacrifice you need to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I like to help Jeff. Do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And now my wife, 2012, still going strong. Nice. Met her on Facebook, too. You figure. Hmm. Fan of your work or just? Yep. That's how she was drawn. Young men out there, young women, whoever. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought poetry would lure a lover, hey? Yeah, it's like... Oh, that's when I was writing Lovey Dovey. And, that's what it was built for. Yeah, yeah. And then I still do. It's tougher for me, but... It... <laughs> Were you like a Lord Byron? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a loaded yeah, question. I don't know. <laughs> okay. yeah, a few no pleasure, pleasure crawlers. I just do what I always do. Just put everything out there and see what happens. Uh, uh-huh. Well, gentlemen... It has been a pleasure talking with you. It's been good talking to you, too. Oh, you too, buddy. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So as we bring the show to a close, is there anything you guys like to plug? I mean, you mentioned quite a few things, but maybe reiterate, codify, and put out for the masses? You can go first, Jeff. Go on. (laughs) Buy our books. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'll kick your ass. If you like what you hear, look us up. We're all over Definitely two plugs. One, I would like people to, as a shameless plug, yes, buy the book, but more because I want people to experience that the book isn't, there's more to it than what people would think. They just need to experience it. Yeah. Because it's a big part of my life and Jeff's now because I've made it his problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now it's everybody's problem. Getting people to experience that not everything in life has a happy ending as well, and this book does not. So, uh, Nope. Uh, if you're a fan of happy endings, maybe pick up a golden book because this is not one of those. And the second thing I'd like to plug, it's not really a plug, it's more of a request. I would like people to just take some time from the day, you know, just pick up a piece of paper, just draw something, write something, be creative, even if it's for five minutes in the day, just um, do something that's not your work, that's not chasing kids around like Jeff does. <laughs> or... Um, you know, just uh, even if it's using an AI generator or, or using chat GPT or CBT, whatever works for you, but, um, <laughs> stop for a moment and be creative. Imagine it's really important to use that part of you. Maybe imagine for longer than 2.4 to 8 seconds outside of TikTok video. <laughs> if you take the time to create something, could be a doodle, could be just a set of shapes on a piece of paper while you're talking to a friend, but it's good for your brain to get that out. It's cathartic and it's... Uh, good for your mental well-being to do that so i urge everyone to give it a try mic drop (laughs) follow your dreams too definitely never give up keep pushing no matter what they say about you no matter what they do they don't have the passion that you do if you really want it you'll get it absolutely that's just you just got to keep pace people are always going to hate you when you succeed People are always going to want to see you fail. It's just you, Jeff. So. <laughs> it's just you. They do. Right. People hate success. <laughs> Everyone loves me. Come on. I'm so lovable. <laughs> they do. They do. I won't let your work, man. I won't, they hate success. I won't let them. <laughs> I won't let them love me. Just remember, 
I am a fiend. You are a fiend. We are all pitiful addicts of the machine. Damn straight. All right. Listeners at home, all links are in the description. And Jeff, Dan, thank you again for joining me. Thank you. Hey, no problem, my friend. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. And thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter by clicking the link in the description. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday, where I will be joined by a writer with a dominating personality and a submissive writing style. So until then, stay healthy, stay sane, and as always, thank you for listening. See you next time.